0: I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is our anticipation for topics at KubeCon, and we have a fascinating discussion about the interesting components of Kubernetes and where they are going. Things that we talk about all the time, like Helm charts and operators and how they interact with Kubernetes and the admission controllers and, and things that are changing and being revised and updated. If you are at all interested in Kubernetes, whether you're attending the conference or not, you will find this to be a must-follow list of topics related to Kubernetes. And I know you will enjoy the discussion. So, KubeCon. Ah, did you know somebody owns KubeCon?
1: Somebody owns KubeCon. name?
0: A U B E C O N Holding Company. I would have assumed C U B O N was. Uh,
2: wow. Uh, no, the the CubeCon itself is hosted under the Linux Foundation domain. So. yes.
0: Wow. I'm amazed that there's not a trademark issue somewhere around that. All right, I was jumping to the schedule to see. I does anything? I mean, I'm I'm waiting to see what. What's going on? I don't think Kubernetes itself has any major. I mean, it's it's approaching the boring, which is good. That's a thumbs up, positive com- comment. Yeah, um,
3: that's pretty fast.
2: I mean, there's a couple of, of things happening with integrations that are of potential interest, um, like, for example. Um, like cross plane is is always an, an interesting one to watch um, for more than one reason um mm-hmm. personally uh, like of the, the topics that I'm seeing here the one that strikes me as most likely to have some
4: uh
2: some groundbreaking uh or or some Prime shift type of uh, potential is uh, KEDA actually KEDA. Okay. Um. So it it it's basically a, an attempt to norm, normalize the the extension of the uh, of the other scalars in coordinates because the like the the basic capabilities are are, are very rudimentary. So so Keda allows you to plug in any kind of metrics that you want and 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 scale based on those as a as a
0: intermediary for the, um, yeah. the node controller. I mean, does that is that going to require a
2: uh, cluster API controller? Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's not it's not not for the node controller. It's it's for the the, the pod uh, all scaler HPA. Yeah. oh okay so 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 instead of, of of for example scaling your load by like when, when your parts get busy on cpu or or memory you can do it based on let's say number of connections or um like the the length or of of, uh, of some queue that you have or or, or something like that so it, it it, it it's it's aiming to to make the outscaling much more dynamic. So it, that's based on uh looking to provide a, a
1: platform or a framework for event driven, right? Yeah. So that ideal of scaling to zero in cases where there's not a, a need for actual workers to, so to speak, be involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, and would would the idea be that you're scaling pods? I guess I'm I'm missing the. I assume that that Kubernetes just
1: did that.
2: Well, Kubernetes can, can scale pods based on internal metrics. Okay. Uh, it has some integration for scaling pods from from external metrics like like from Prometheus. But Keda like really takes this to another level in, in saying like any any kind of data source that that the supports uh can provide information about how your pods need to scale. So you could, for example, have two completely disjoint clusters, one that is that is your front end and one that that is your back end. Okay. Uh, and you can scale your backend on some frontend activity before the frontend sends those requests to the backend because they share the same data source. Certainly, um, um, like like huh, there's a lot okay. of databases that you can plug in. You, uh, you can you can plug in DataDog, like, uh, um, with. This, um,
0: Oh, so so. In other words, you would be able to take metrics that were organic to your app from a scaling perspective, and not just rely on the performance of the system. So you could say, okay, my uh, web page—I'm serving web pages—you uh, know, fifth slower than I was before. Scale from that perspective.
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or, or you you could even use some. Some prediction, like based on weekly load, you you know that Monday eight AM, your your load is gonna start going up because people start coming into work. So you preemptively scale that.
0: Okay, that makes a ton of sense. Hmm. So, does that mean that there's a like there's projects and a market for this, or is it? Or is it a project that is a scalar, a a alternate scheduler for Kubernetes?
2: There are more than one, uh, but Keda, for some purposes, became the de facto standard uh, over the past year. Um, And um, yeah, um, it it's a little bit slow in in adoption. Because again, like it, it, if the, your basic HBA is sufficient for you, then why make your cluster more complex? Right. Um, but
4: um, I mean,
2: there's definitely like just like Kubernetes fits the uh, fits the bill when you're outgrowing Docker, Keda fits the bill when you're outgrowing your your default HBA. Oh, okay. I know I've looked at it in terms of the idea of
1: serverless on prem as a, a possible solution. Wait, wait. How would no, yeah, How would you do use. that? Yeah. Well, it, so it's it it's event driven in a sense. So it's class's point in terms of accepting queues and different requests, and so that allows me to be able to spin up. Essentially, those pods or those containers, in response to an event, similar to an AWS Lambda or an Azure Function, that provides a a serverless-like capability. Obviously, there's still the servers underneath, even in the case of like a uh, a Lambda. But from an on-prem perspective, it that starts to provide a unlock a, a possibility.
3: Well, how how centralized is the management of that, or is it not?
1: So it would provide the building blocks. I would say it wouldn't be a, a full solution out of the box, uh, at least from the, the little bit that I've dug in. But it would would provide a, a means to help facilitate it.
2: And, and I'm assuming this is uh, this is li- like you're looking at this in contrast to say like Q-less or 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 any other kind of lambda on kubernetes uh kind of solution yeah yeah it's it's an interesting approach uh i have to admit um it, are, are you have you compared to the like the overhead of, of this ver- versus um the the serverless uh, solutions
1: i've taken a, a cursory look um, trying to trying to constantly see what's what's out in the market in terms of uh, availability, and that's one of the ones that's that's popped up on my radar. Um, OpenFast is one of the other sort of primary ones from a, just a a pure serverless options outside of the cloud standpoint. Um, and so, KDA has caught my interest, and that's why I started digging into it and looking at it.
0: Hmm. Huh. Are are we seeing some? serverless constructs inside of Kubernetes. I mean, it felt like there was a ton of interest in that a couple of years ago. And then I haven't seen the serverless inside of Kubernetes engines get the, the, as much attention. Well,
3: serverless in general seems to have kind of gone into a black hole.
2: Well, I, I think it's been largely displaced by cloud functions, at, at least as a moniker. Like they essentially work the same, mm-hmm. but um, the, the the issue with serverless has always been one of of latency, like how long does it take to, to spin up your functions and, and get a response? And the use cases where serverless was becoming interest was largely with regards to, um, again just like reactive websites that don't that didn't need dynamic backend data. So, um, so cloud functions like what Cloudflare offers, and I think ended up displacing a lot of the the serverless use cases uh, with something more domain specific.
0: But you're right. The Cloudflare flare definitely implemented a function service from that that perspective. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's, without a doubt, there's use cases, but it, what you're describing to me ends up being very cloud specific. Like it, it didn't like every cloud has a functions cloud functions thing now, except on prem, except on prem, right, and. The, the on-prem there there hasn't emerged uh, the the same um, need for
1: that service. Maybe I, I don't. So I, was I think, expecting it to happen. Yeah, I think the need is there. There's just not a solution. The problem, other problem becomes the other things that cloud centric Republic cloud functions are provide is tie ins or hooks into centralized event buses or additional capabilities over and above just the, the function function capability.
0: This is bad. I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm going to add what happened to serverless to the to the conversation backlog. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's uh let me look at the calendar and see if I,
3: I you know I haven't even heard uh I'm I'm Googling it because I have not heard that term for like it must be like over a year. Oh, there's a whole website devoted to it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's still by the serverless framework. Yeah, the serverless framework, right? Mm. Uh
2: I suspect what happens is that it reached market saturation a lot faster than people thought it would. And after that, it like, OK, if you use it, you use it. You just don't talk about it anymore.
3: Well, uh, yeah, I guess there's not too much to it. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't think there's not enough to it. I, I mean, I really do think it's an essential event bus. I mean, I mean, it's funny because when we do orchestration, at some point it begins to feel like serverless because we're we're taking an event, processing the event, and then ending the task. Um. So it's it's an interesting. It's definitely a needed that type of an event processing engine is necessary,
3: and that's true. But you know, maybe Klaus is right. It just it just has gotten subsumed into the whole container architecture because it's just a it's a tool that supports containers. Uh,
0: something to watch for a KubeCon and see if there's vendors or people like that who are who are listing out. Uh, that that capability. That's what, I mean, that's, this is, to me, that's one of the outstanding questions we have going into KubeCon kind of, is serverless uh, Kubernetes app now or, uh, you know. Well, some... Yeah.
3: How different is, how different is serverless from the application perspective to running a Kubernetes cluster from the, again, from the application perspective? And somebody has to do the, I mean, there is a server underneath
0: there, obviously. There is. Well, it's, but you have to have to something to receive the event or the webhook, yeah. process it, and then do the work. So you you have to have an evented. It's really an evented. To me, it's 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 event driven development, and so you yeah. have to have an event processor, which Kubernetes is not an event processor.
3: No, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't. Um, although interesting networking is, if you think about it. <laughs>
0: From a networking event, what I've
3: well, networking. I mean, uh, networking is all driven by events,
0: right?
4: Okay.
3: Things happen, right? And the networking servers or routers or whatever you want to call them have to do something. Now, what the way they do it is they just have policy engines. Right, that's what
0: that's what all SD WAN is. It's yeah. just awesome. Well, and, so, and, and that that takes us full circle back to ingress controllers in a way. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right.
2: Mm-hmm. Which, speaking of ingress controllers, uh, since the ingress API is getting deprecated, we've been seeing what um, uh, what what the ingress controller vendors are doing to. Uh, uh, to adopt the, the new standard. it? Um, well, so the Ingress Gateway API, I think it's called.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Is there a vendor in mind? I don't know that space as well. Uh,
2: I think Istio is the one that, that, uh, that is the reference implementation. Okay. Um, but- It's the service um, mesh people. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not just service mesh, but, but basically people knew that that ingress was woefully inadequate uh, as it is implemented right now. Um, and, and The the new API do, has been in, in the works for quite a long time, particularly by the service mesh people, but not because it's service mesh, just because it happens to be more flexible.
0: It's their choke point. Yeah. Well, if you're doing a service mesh and still have to route everything to one ingress controller, then you, you it sort of doesn't matter how good your service mesh is, if that's your, if you've got a weak point behind the scenes.
2: Well, I mean, you, you can't do TCP ingress through yeah. through like the standard ingress API because it's for HTTP only. Uh, okay. So, so right, I mean, right. that's that's what let the service march people to work on this um but it just happens that um well the i guess the kubernetes six decided that yeah this is a good idea let, let's go and implement that or make it global
4: i <laughs> think um, and the I'm, I'm, I'm
0: still I'm still thinking through the HTTP only I, it's something I, there's funny things that like I haven't thought about that as a like, kubernetes limitation for a long time but it, it definitely is um, it would be a problem if you're only worried about the you know the protocol limited
2: huh yeah and I link here the, the 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 page to the special interest group um that's that's been working on this the the gateway API group. Um, so it, you probably see something uh, about that from, from the various, uh, people who, who work on that, like contour, um, so, uh, yeah, uh, emissary, okay. I, I still keep calling it ambassador. Um, yeah, and it's your, all, all of the other ones as well. Um, the, the, the other last thing that, that might, hmm. uh, be talked about, um, to, to some degree or other is, uh, Q, uh, which is, um, uh, which is how that to, to be the, uh, the next evolution of, of YAML um, hasn't been widely adopted yet, but um, something to keep an eye on.
0: What's huh. the advantage over for that over YAML?
2: I think it's meant to address uh, some of the um, the YAML pain points. Is it K U E? C U E. There's, a, no, uh, C-U- uh, there's a link in chat here okay i was just finding
0: it okay i found the stack share
2: so it's it's not not exactly a yaml replacement because it's it's not exactly a, a language uh, but um it's it's more of i i guess you could call it like a it's like
0: a json schema or yaml
2: <laughs> yeah like, like yeah like like a yaml schema validation
0: uh, tool
4: okay
0: Oh I we mean, as we do we do stuff like that with json using uh json schema And so we Mm -hmm. define stuff in JSON schema all the time, which is super handy. Mm -hmm. It definitely pays back dividends when you when you do good schema validation. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, uh, The reason I I I stumbled onto this was exactly because of schema validation. Like at at one point, I I had even considered using OPA to to validate YAML, but. I may not have to.
0: OPA to validate YAML? Yeah,
2: but like huh. Open policy agent is in a set in a sense a schema engine.
4: Yeah. yeah like you you,
2: you, you, you yeah. write your policies that which are schemas and, and then you, you 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 match the resources against them. Mm-hmm. um but um it, as powerful as Rego is, it is not exactly the, the most uh beginner friendly language.
0: I, I guess I guess if everything's defined in um YAML, it yeah you know, with, with the amount we're relying on YAML having more validation is good.
2: Absolutely. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Especially well, since, since it, it, it's really easy to to generate um, non-valid YAML uh, once you start trying to put more complex logic into your templates.
3: Let me ask you a question. Um, you know, I, I think the engine to to get go out and get the resources is one thing, but is there any validation that the, um, the, the resources specced for any given
4: application
3: are correct?
2: Um, in, in the context of coordinates or, yeah. or internal?
4: Well, there's,
2: yes, there, there are some ways. So, uh, one is um, you, you can use server-side apply. To, to do a dry run and, and okay. check it against your cluster, uh, which is in fact what, what Terraform does with with its um, with its Kubernetes manifest resource. Um, another option, again, it, it 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 depends on what resources you're talking about, but um, specifically for custom resource definitions, um, you, you have to ship your spec. Uh, with, with recent versions of coordinates. so you cannot have an unspec CRD now. Um, so it's it's really easy to to validate your huh. your, res- your custom resources against uh, the spec. Hmm.
4: Hmm.
2: I didn't
0: even think you could have it. okay. So so four CRDs is there? So I'm I'm super curious about where CRDs are at KubeCon. And is this do you think there's going to be formalized, like sessions on CRDs? Like, where could I go? So look at that, Because it doesn't feel like there's a product or a project, it feels like a whole bunch of things depend on it.
2: Oh, well, I don't think that you'll see a session on, on, on just CRDs in in general without any specific purpose. But if you look at any of these tools, like the like the the vendors that are participating in, in KubeCon, uh, I can guarantee that, that that pretty much all of them are using CRDs. Oh. Yes, that I've seen. Um, and, and, it, and it makes sense for them. Like it, it's it is um, it is an easy way to, to enforce. Validation on the resources that that, that get created for you, um, and, and make sure that the, the not only that they conform to your spec, but that your um, that that the user knows that what they're requesting is what is going to be implemented by the operator. Um, right.
0: Well, and it also gives you a way to store share information about your applications in a way that's discoverable from other applications, right? I and mean, this is turning out to be one of the Kubernetes superpowers, right? To actually have a discoverable way to share information inside of Kubernetes.
2: Yes. yeah. Uh, on, on the other hand, it, it's also one of my major pain points in with Kubernetes uh, and, uh, and Terraform. Um and and it's it's largely again because Terraform does server side applies when, when implementing what when when uh, when you create a prudence manifest type resource, which is how you typically create CRDs. I uh, think but what it means is that in in order to do a Terraform plan of, of a manifest you need to ha- or in particular of a CRD manifest you need to have a cluster and you need to have your operator installed so so that is in most cases already two two steps where you either need to have separate plans or you need to have, uh, or you need to be doing resource targeting, because you you cannot, in, in most cases, you, you cannot install the operators uh, without having an existing cluster, because you cannot do the plan right. with, uh, with with the Terraform resources without the cluster, right. and then you need to have the, the operators installed before you can do the plan for your certies.
0: How are people building? uh the operators then is that just a helm chart or
4: um, exactly. i
0: think the thing i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna have to go and spend time at with kubecon actually learning more about how operators are constructed and managed because i that's always um, one of my one of my questions is how do they get built how do they get managed what's the life cycle for an operator because they seem essential to building a cluster
2: yeah so um it it depends on on the solution that you're using um it, if you look at let's say eks or, or gke the, there there are the, the marketplaces where uh, vendors publish their their, their operators and, and you can do basically a one-click install um if you are dealing with Kubernetes clusters outside of that context um or or if you would rather not use those marketplaces then then yeah you, you need to first create your cluster uh, and, and then install the operator either with a home chart or or with, with the customize or or whatever and then you and then you create your, your crds however you want so again the, the problem that, that i'm bringing up is specifically in terms of Terraform. Okay. if you if you don't use Terraform, like, like you do these steps some other way. Uh, but uh, again, because Terraform requires you to have your, your plan phase or, or like because Terraform yeah, does the plan even, yeah. like, even before you do the like even when you just do the apply, like it runs the plan and says mm-hmm. like it says okay, yes or no. Um, it is one of the limitations in in doing things with, with Terraform that you need to be aware of. You have you have to have an active cluster for it to scan
0: before it can do the resource build. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard of people using Terraform instead of, say, Helm to build Kubernetes, to to
2: build cup pods. Well, in in many cases. You don't, and and I wouldn't re- recommend it. Okay, but but in in my case, for example, what we do is like we create a cluster, we install Argo CD, and then everything else that we install is an Argo CD application, which is which are CRDs. So um, so we've automated the process of 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 doing the, the first two steps of of creating the cluster and, and then in, installing Argo CD with Terraform and and then after that it, it's basically just a, a declarative configuration to say like what what resources or what workloads I, I want to deploy on in our cluster.
4: Hmm.
0: All right, sir. Oh, yeah, huh. Okay. I. I... My shopping list on stocks for kind ah. is growing long, which is good. I mean I'm, I'm you know I think what you're what you're describing seems like a lot of pieces put together, but I I, I understand it, that makes sense. Um wow. What if you're using Terraform to manage the operator. Then I guess you could get some lifecycle controls out of it. What happens if you up if you need to upgrade or patch the controller? Then the operator. <laughs> that, that,
2: that's the. Uh, that, that's actually uh, the first thing that the controller does, or that ROC does, is it? It uh, creates an application for itself. So, so we we do manage it declaratively as well. It's just the the bootstrapping part that needs to be. So, so we 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 bootstrap Argo CD, mm-hmm. and then Argo CD updates itself. At At which point, it is no longer the bootstrap state. Okay, Argo
0: CD is an operator, right? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, it, it's a it's a Git GitOps operator. So, so everything we do is declarative.
0: That's I, the thing that the thing that's been interesting to me, and I'll I'll I wanna see if this is how it's playing out in a KubeCon, is it feels like operators have become the application delivery pattern for Kubernetes. Like more than Helm charts. I expected Helm charts to be, I was just talking to somebody about this, where like I don't feel like people are talking about Helm charts like these two, which is confusing to me. But they are talking about operators. So, if you're buying an application or building an application, it's deployed using an operator in Kubernetes, and that's the delivery mechanism.
2: Is um, that? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't quite agree with that. I, I think okay. the, the the Helm chart is still the the fundamental building break of the delivered application. Okay. Um, it it gets. More complicated, however, when you get uh, to the point of um, basically having to specify application logic. So the Helm chart tells you what is installed. Uh, once, Once you need to be able to customize how the application behaves. At that point it becomes easier to make it an operator and delegate those behavioral um, customizations to a crd like, like take for, mm. for, or okay. take for example Prometheus like, like it is available uh, both as a helm chart as an, and as an operator. If you install, install it as a helm chart, you need to know your configuration ahead of time which is great if you have a static configuration, not, not so great if you're adding workloads later. If you install as an operator, then each application can, um, you get can a create control, its own you get a service monitor voice. CRD just, that says like, okay, this is how you monitor me.
0: Right, and then, the, and then you can also say, this is how I request things from this application. I create CRDs, it monitors the CRDs, and then that gives me a, that gives me a hook through the yeah. Kubernetes API. Otherwise, I'm talking directly to a service inside of the system, and so. Yeah,
2: so okay. so what the operator lets you do is it lets you decouple the configuration time from the installation time. Right.
0: It's, it's stunning to me how important CRDs have become to the Kubernetes ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It's it's not surprising, but in in a way, but it's it's funny because it was feels like unintended functionality in the design.
4: Hmm. Um, Why do you say that?
0: Um, I I don't I don't see the CRDs as the in like the intended configuration path for these pods, um, I, it, it, it has felt to me like it was, a, oh yeah, we should we can let you extend the object model and add to it and then take advantage of it. Um, it, it wasn't as deliberately wired into how, how we built um, applications from the beginning. I mean, part of this is just me going back in history and being like, nobody ever talked about CRD as the as the as you know, oh, it's like, oh, here's my application, here's the, here's my CRD to, to pass in information to it.
2: I I think we were mixing up uh, cause and effect there. Okay. So so CRDs were definitely not part of the original spec of coordinates, because at that point, extensibility to this degree what was not even considered a, a, a problem uh, like the same thing the same reason why why I'd say TCP ingress well was not considered a problem uh,
3: well but it makes logical sense but, that it was added because it gets around yes. the it gets around the inflexibility that was built okay. into the systems from the the get-go. Exactly.
0: And they need to cross-communicate, right? I mean, uh, right. having applications have a way to, to share information is a, is a core need.
2: Yeah. Okay. I, CRDs were created for one specific purpose or, like, or the, the capability of, of specifying CRDs. And that was that the Kubernetes the, the core, core team said, we don't want to be, have to maintain extensions to to Kubernetes um, to to the degree that, that that we're being asked to add to add them. So here is a common platform for creating those extensions yourself and maintaining them yourself. And, that, and that's how operators start. So so within that context, the way operators are, are being used right now are the, the, the natural outcome, the natural evolution of what the, the Cornelius core teams said should be done. Yeah, right. I, I think what what was underestimated then though, was the, to the degree to which um, operators would become commonplace in the cluster ecosystem. Like you, you're you're hardly gonna find any cluster without operator c sticks. That's
0: the sense I have too. I well, I actually think that the my 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 prediction, watching the trajectory, is that the management and control of operators will actually end up being the 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 more important thing than the management and scheduling of the containers.
2: Absolutely,
0: yes. Um, which, which to me is what Kubernetes two. <laughs> that's going to drive Kubernetes, Kubernetes two. It's going to be a a uh, 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 a CRD wall system yeah. that also that does container scheduling versus a container scheduling system that does um, uh, CRDs. I, 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 that's that's the that's the trajectory I see.
3: So uh, I I have to drop to my next call.
0: I, yeah, I got to run too. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. This is, this has given me a lot to think about before KubeCon, um, <laughs> which I appreciate. Uh, I have a lot more, a lot more to think about, about what, it, what, um, how I'm going to listen to the sessions mm. and report back. Klaus, you can keep, if there's anything else you think I should check out, just let, just poke me and I'll, I'll, I'll dig in. Well do. Happy, happy to do it. Thank you all. Talk Cheers. to you on Thursday. Wow, what a fascinating conversation. I always learn a lot about Kubernetes in these calls, but also what's important and what's changing and how things are architected. We are gonna be digging into these topics over the next several weeks in the Cloud 2030 discussion groups, talking about admission controllers and serverless and operators. All of these are follow-up topics for us to cover. And if they are interesting to you, please join us at the 2030.cloud. You can see our agenda, jump into these conversations, be part of the roundtable. We want to hear from you, and I will see you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently because that's what and does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and You know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.